Are you ready to take full control of your physical, emotional, and spiritual health? Are you ready to experience great success in your life? Health Talk with Dr. Diane M.D. will teach you the tools and strategies to help you take control of your health and inspire you to live your best life. Now here is your host, Dr. Diane A. Thompson, M.D. Well, hello and welcome to Health Talk. As you know, this is a show that is designed to inform and inspire you to a healthier lifestyle. And I'm your host, Diane A. Thompson, MD, and it is my pleasure spending 30 minutes with you sharing information that I believe could change your health and very well change your life. As I've often said to you, your health is your wealth. And many times we never think that our health is important until we actually lose it. So I hope that with each show, we share information that will help you become and stay healthy. Well, let me get some of the housekeeping out of the way. Uh, if you remember Dr. Jennifer Cottle, she was on our show back in January, on January 6th, where she gave us some great information about the flu. Dr. Jen will be on Dr. Oz, so please check your local listing and check out the show and, and give Dr. Cottle some love. She'll actually be back on the show later this year. And I want to remind you that this broadcast is for educational purposes only and is not intended for diagnosis or treatment. Please check with your healthcare provider before making any changes to your health. All right. So as you know, February is Heart Month. And on our last uh, show last week, we had a cardiologist on who discussed heart disease in women. And I actually got a lot of emails and feedback from people because they, they felt that they learned so much. We, we know that the signs and symptoms of a heart attack, for example, in women, they present a little bit differently. And many of you did not know this. So I did get your emails and I got the messages that you left. Also this morning, I had the pleasure of speaking at Grace Congregational Church of Harlem on 139th Street in Manhattan. And my topic uh, for their health ministry moment was uh, love your heart. And I discussed several heart-healthy habits. So if you want to see more of that information, you can actually go on my Facebook page where I'll have the link to a recent article I wrote in the Bronx Times about uh, this same topic. So tonight we're going to continue with the theme of heart disease. Uh, But this time we're going to focus on high blood pressure or hypertension. And many of you may know this, but hypertension is often described as the silent killer. Many people have high blood pressure for years without any symptoms. According to the American Heart Association, about 76.4 million people aged 20 or older, or one in three adults in the United States have high blood pressure. And for many of these people, it's not properly controlled. We hope that we'll be able to give you some information tonight to help you control your high blood pressure because uncontrolled hypertension is a risk factor for many diseases, including heart attacks and stroke. Uh, Tonight, we're so fortunate. We have on our call uh, Dr. Elijah Saunders. Dr. Saunders is a board-certified cardiologist and professor of medicine and head uh, section of hypertension in the Division of Cardiology at the University of Maryland School of Medicine. He received the American Heart Association's Award for Merit, uh, the Lewis B. Russell Award, which is the highest award for contribution to cardiovascular minority health, and the President Award from the Maryland Affiliate. 
He was honored by the Associated Black Charities, Inc. as a living legend, and he received the Honor Award and Golden Key from the University of Maryland Medical Alumni Association, as well as the Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Diversity Recognition Award from the University of Maryland, Baltimore. He was honored by the Association of Black Cardiologists in conjunction with the National Medical Association in 2003 as Cardiologist of the Year. As you can see, Dr. Saunders' accolade could go on for days, and I have been fortunate to have actually spent some time with Dr. Saunders in his office during my first and second year as a medical student, and I really, really learned so much about the management of hypertension. I've always been very grateful for that knowledge. Uh, Dr. Saunders, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you very much. I'm glad to, uh, to join you. So we have a, a lot of questions for many of our listeners, and so we're going to jump right in. And so one of the basic questions that, that I'll ask is, let's just review for our listeners, uh, what is hypertension? Why is it important? Why should they be screened or properly managed for this? Okay, uh... Uh, the first thing, and, and you indicated already, that hypertension is high blood pressure. The word hypertension might suggest uh, to people that it's a stress or a psychological or a mental problem uh, uh, with the blood pressure being up due to stress or high-strung individual. And that, that's not necessarily the case. Uh, it actually is a physical increase in pressure within the vascular system, beginning with the heart and extending out to the major and all of the vessels uh, around the body. Uh, so it's a, it's a, it's a problem, uh, and when we measure the blood pressure with a sigmomanometer, and the doctors, of course, do that, we actually are measuring how much pressure your blood is, is exerting against the walls of your artery. Uh, and, uh, Clearly, there's a normal amount of pressure that's exerted around, uh, uh, on, uh, a normal amount of pressure exerted on the inside of the, uh, arteries, uh, in order to move blood around your body. But when that pressure is high, and we say high is 140 uh, millimeters of mercury on the systolic side, that's when the heart contracts. That's the top figure the doctor gives you. The doctor will say your blood pressure is 140 over 90. So the 140 is the, is when the heart contracts and pushes blood out of the heart into the blood vessels. And that is measured in terms of millimeters of mercury. And up to 140 is considered to be, uh, normal. Uh, the diastolic is when the, uh, heart relaxes in order to receive more blood. Uh, from the, uh, the right ventricle and from the lungs, uh, and that blood pressure is lower, uh, the normal being, uh, less than, than 90. Uh, so, uh, uh, but you gotta have a blood pressure in order to move blood around the body. So, to just summarize, a normal blood pressure is 120 over 80 or lower. But we say that the blood pressure is not considered to be high where one requires drug treatment until it gets above 140 over 90. And that is either one or the other. It doesn't have to be both. The systolic can be above 140 and the diastolic can be 80 and uh, you have high blood pressure. Or the diastolic can be above 90 
and the systolic can be 130, and you still have high blood pressure. Now, one of the things that I do remember people would mention in the past when you talk about the blood pressure, people would say, well, if the bottom number is bigger, that's the one I need to be concerned about. Is, is there any truth to that? Do you just, do you look at both or uh, is there one more not, concerning? Yeah, not anymore. Years ago, uh, we were taught and we taught that the diastolic, the lower number word, uh, was the more, uh, was the most important, the more important one of the two pressures. Uh, and it still is important, but, uh, it seems that over a period of time looking at populations as a whole, uh, the systolic may, may, may be more important. However, a lot of it is age-related. Up to around age 50 or 55, uh, probably uh, they are equally important. The systolic uh, above 140, the diastolic above 90 uh, would be considered elevated and important enough to cause some concern and maybe for treatment. But once you get above about age 55, the diastolic, that is that lower number, uh, fails to become uh, as important and often does not rise anymore as you get older. But that systolic, that top figure, continues to rise as you get older and older, and it becomes the blood pressure that probably is more associated with heart attacks and strokes and heart failure and kidney failure and, and so forth. I'm very happy that you cleared that up because even today you do have people who will say if that bottom number isn't that that high, then I'm doing okay when the, the top number is very high. So I'm glad you cleared that up. And let me ask you this. Um, the statistics show that uh, hypertension is underdiagnosed and undertreated. Uh, what do you think accounts for this? It's a multiplicity of factors. Uh, it's not all on the patients. It's not all on the doctor. It's not all on the medical care system. It's all three. Uh, the, the doctor or the health care provider uh, bears some responsibility. The health care system uh, uh, being somewhat complicated, sometimes difficult to negotiate or to uh, access the, the system. Uh, that includes also the coverage for insurance and paying for medication. And that whole area, and I'm sure you've talked about it on your program, of the healthcare system, which is getting to be fairly complicated. And of course, the, probably the, the bottom line is the third factor, and that's the patient, uh, uh him or herself. Uh, so, uh, also lack of compliance, uh, or adherence to therapy on the part of the patient, uh, is a very common problem and maybe maybe uh, one of the most important uh, parts of uh, why we're not controlling blood pressure well. Uh, but along with that, our physicians, uh, health care providers, not following the guidelines that have been published uh, by national uh, uh, panels uh, in the journals, and it's well known, uh, and the information is very accessible that says how one should diagnose and treat high blood pressure. And, and our medical care system, uh, and that's why we're dealing with health reform, because not everybody can get treated. Not everybody can get into the system. And this is a chronic disease that requires treatment probably for a lifetime uh, once you're diagnosed. So the system 
of care in this country as it currently is uh, does result in a significant number of people that have the problem but can't get into the system. They don't have the money. They don't have the insurance coverage or the insurance will limit them to certain drugs that may not be the most effective drugs. So all of these factors uh, are uh, important and are involved in the high rate of uncontrolled blood pressure. Okay, Incidentally, you... that's greater than 50%. More than half of the people that have high blood pressure are not controlled. Uh, which is such a shame considering the, the possible sequelae. Uh, one of the things you mentioned is the lack of compliance in patient. Over the years, have you found any strategies that may help with patient adherence or compliance? Uh, yes, this has been studied a, a lot, probably not, uh, not enough because we don't know ex- why people don't adhere to therapy. We don't know exactly. We know some of them don't adhere to it because, as I said, they, they have money problems. They have other issues that are much more important to them. But I think one of the main things is that high blood pressure is a, a relatively asymptomatic disease. For many years, people can go along and not have any indications that they have a problem and they may be told that but they don't feel bad and they uh, will fall out of therapy or uh, not believe that they have a problem and therefore uh, not comply. So the fact that it is a disease that has few or no symptoms for a long time certainly is one of the uh, contributors to uh, non-compliance or non-adherence to uh, the therapy. But there are truly some people that uh that truly have difficulty in in getting into the system, just don't have the resources, and that's why I think that some sort of health reform that would make medical care for chronic diseases like high blood pressure and like diabetes and obesity much more accessible to everybody. You mentioned that uh, for some patients that high blood pressure is not symptomatic, and that yet one of the things that I've noticed when we've had patients who are not compliant, we'll put them on medications and they will say, well, the high blood pressure didn't bother me, but I'm having side effects from the medication or adverse effects from the medication. So that's another thing. They'll stop taking the medicine for that reason. Um, uh, yes, that, that is, that is uh, a problem. It's not as much of a problem as, as people think it is. It used to be more of a problem years ago when we had uh, only a few drugs that did have significant side effects. Uh, that was a problem. But in recent years, uh, we've been, been able to come up with uh, a number of pharmaceutical agents that are very well tolerated, that have very little side effects uh, if given in the proper doses and in the proper combinations. And we teach doctors and our medical students of how they can manipulate their drug therapy uh, improve lifestyle, like reducing the salt in the diet and uh, other lifestyle changes uh, where the medicine can be reduced, uh, and using the drugs uh, that uh, have uh, very little side effect. So that probably is not as much of a problem now as it once was, and we like to encourage people, especially many of our uh, male patients that complain of sexual dysfunction, that uh, that is not a major problem any longer with most of the drugs. Now, if you have diabetes along with your high blood pressure or if you have kidney problem along with your blood pressure, uh, yes, 
uh, any uh, medication uh, may uh, reduce your sexual uh, performance or your sexual uh, interest and so forth. But in the absence of, of other problems like that, uh, for the most part, the medication that we have now can be given in the proper doses, proper combinations, and the side effects are very, very minimal. Dr. Diane A. Thompson is a physician, writer, speaker, and the radio host of the popular syndicated show, Health Talk with Dr. Diane M.D. You may also listen to her live on Atlanta Broadcasting Network, 1570 AM WIGO, every Friday at 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. To contact Dr. Diane A. Thompson, go to her website and sign up for updates at drdianethompson.com. That's drdianethompson.com. And like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Thompson. Now back to our show. One of the things that I wanted to switch gears to is that over the years there have been uh, several studies um, that have given us good information about the management of hypertension. Can you just share some of the results of these studies and, and what you've learned about managing hypertension? Yes. I guess the main uh, message first, and I'll go down the list, is that uh, it's a fairly simple uh, problem to bring down blood pressure. Now, there are people that are very difficult and are resistant, and we might say a little bit about that later on. I'm involved in some of the studies uh, with how you get the blood pressure down in those that are resistant. But most people uh, can be controlled with the medications that, uh, that we, uh, we, we have. Uh, and the studies show that if you bring the blood pressure down with almost any um, a drug or a group of drugs that are on the market, uh, according, bring it down according to the guidelines, uh, it will be effective in reducing the likelihood of cardiovascular complications like stroke, a heart attack, heart failure, kidney uh, failure, and so forth. So the studies uh, generally have been uh, pretty effective, and drugs that come to the market, it sounds very strange, all the pharmaceutical company has to prove to the FDA to get a drug approved for the market is that it can bring down blood pressure and it can do it uh, safely without any significant number of side effects and without any serious side effects. They don't have to approve that the complication will be uh, uh, avoided or prevented. Uh, it's, but it's 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 almost uh, uh, understood uh, based upon a number of studies that when the blood pressure is brought down from high levels to normal levels or to lower levels, the rate of complications will be uh, reduced. So the number of studies have shown that. Now, in recent years, we've done studies in special populations like African Americans, people with diabetes, people with uh, what we call concomitant diseases, having other problems with their blood pressure, like high cholesterol, obesity, uh, as I said, kidney problems, heart problems. Uh, and uh, these people become a little bit more of a challenge in terms of bringing down their blood pressure because you have to deal with not only bringing down the blood pressure, but dealing with the, uh, the associated or co- comorbidity. Uh, so, for instance, a uh, person has high cholesterol and high blood pressure. Some drugs can 
can raise the cholesterol or aggravate the cholesterol, uh, and therefore uh, uh, may be excellent for the blood pressure, but it may uh, uh, affect the cholesterol in a bad way. Now, so what you have to do is use that drug if you need to in a smaller dose, but use another drug along with it to help to bring down the blood pressure so you are not getting enough of the or high enough dose of the drug that can raise cholesterol, uh, especially if it's given in certain doses. Uh, by the same token, you're bringing down the blood pressure because you're using another drug along with it to help in bringing down the blood pressure. Uh, another example would be the diabetic patient. This is, very, this is very common because many people with high blood pressure have diabetes. Uh, it's, uh, it's amazing how many people have both of those problems. And again, uh, some drugs that we give to, for blood pressure or some drugs that are given for diabetes may aggravate the blood pressure. So the, the provider has to be very, very careful that uh, you don't treat one problem and get another problem. But it can be done very simply. It's not very complicated. So we, we do have drugs that uh, can be given that do not aggravate uh, other problems, or we can give drugs, as said, in uh, combination with other drugs to minimize uh, uh, any adverse effects such that the benefit uh, outweighs the, any risk. Are there a particular drugs that you find more effective in the African-American population? Uh, yes. Yeah, so we've studied this for years, uh, and we've found some drugs not to be as effective, some to be more effective in the African-American population. Uh, the diuretics have always been uh, a class of drugs uh, uh, that are quite effective in the African-American uh, patient, uh, and therefore... Uh, most African Americans will uh, respond, but may need other drugs along with it, but they will respond quite well to the diuretic drug. Uh, we also found later on with other studies that the calcium channel blockers, which don't have as much of a diuretic effect as the diuretics, the so-called water pills, that is also very effective in the African American uh, patient. Uh, and... Uh, uh, either alone or more often in combination with other drugs uh, will be very effective in the, the black patient. On the other hand, uh, the drugs in the RAS blocking category, RAS, R-A-A-S, renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system blocking drugs, a so-called ACE inhibitors and ARBs, uh, these drugs, uh, especially when given alone, may not be as effective in the black population uh, unless they're given in larger dose, but more often they have to be given with a diuretic uh, uh, or with a calcium channel blocker, and they work uh, quite well. The beta blockers, uh, the ones that have been on the market for years, generally have not been as effective in blacks as in whites if given alone. Uh, and we're referring to drugs like metoprolog, uh, propranolog, uh, drugs in that category, atenolog. Uh, uh, these are the common ones that are on the market. They may not be as effective in blacks uh, in monotherapy or single drug therapy. But since most people, black and white, 
especially blacks but also whites, will require more than one drug, then the black-white difference in efficacy is not an issue. So you're going to give an ACE inhibitor like lisinopril almost always with a diuretic or with a calcium blocker. And if you give it that way, which most people will require, we don't see any black-white difference. If you gave lisinopril by itself, which is not going to be very effective alone in most people anyway, it's not going to be as effective in, in black patients. So, so we've learned uh, to utilize all drugs for their benefit and for their uh, effect upon target organs and, and morbidity and mortality in all patients, including black patients. But we've learned to use them in combination when it's necessary uh, and in the proper dosing uh, when it's necessary. Oh, that is great. I also uh, just got a message in our chat room that said, great information with multiple exclamations after that. So I guess the listeners are enjoying this information. My last question for you, Dr. Saunders, for a patient comes in your office, is newly diagnosed with uh, high blood pressure, what is the best piece of advice that you would give him or her to help in the management of this disease? Yes. Uh, we always uh, instruct them in uh, lifestyle modification, and that means uh, restricting the salt in the diet, the sodium in the diet, and the sodium in all forms. Uh, uh, most of the sodium that we consume is a part of foods that are already processed, foods that are already put together, uh, foods that are in cans, uh, foods that are frozen. So processed foods uh, and bread, uh, most breads, uh, contain quite a bit of, of sodium. And uh, I saw one of your questions about the sea salt. Sea yeah. salt is still sodium. So apparently the word got around that sea salt was okay. But uh, if it's sodium and sea salt is sodium along with other ions, uh, it still is a problem. So restricting the, uh, the salt or the sodium in the diet uh uh, not only from the salt shaker, which is not the way we get most of our sodium, but through processed foods, through foods that are prepared, foods served in restaurants, uh, would be very, very important. And we commend uh, your, your mayor and the uh, uh, health uh, uh, system in New York uh, for uh, encouraging and putting together uh, programs to encourage uh, food um, uh, suppliers and food uh, stores and, and restaurants to uh, voluntarily uh, voluntarily reduce the sodium uh, because a lot of it comes from, uh, as I said, those sources that I that I mentioned, and mm-hmm. we're we're very com- uh, uh, and we're we've started a similar initiative in Maryland as well, and other places in the country are beginning to get into that. After the sodium in the diet, all of the things that contribute to excess weight, that would be uh, the next most important thing for high blood pressure. Uh, I don't have to tell you. I'm sure you've had programs on the obesity uh, epidemic that's going on in this country. Along with cigarette smoking, it is certainly the fastest growing epidemic in this country. And overweight people and obese individuals, do have more high blood pressure than people that are that are normal weight in general. So, uh, so weight loss, controlling one's weight, reducing the sodium in the diet, 
reducing the fat and the cholesterol in the diet, which is a part of uh, cardio, the cardiovascular system, and the fat produces more weight as well. Exercise, uh, which of course helps to burn up calories, especially the uh, carbohydrates. So uh, we're talking about lifestyle changes, uh, what the patient can do. The patient, by reducing the salt in the diet, reducing the fat in the diet, reducing cholesterol in the diet, uh, reducing the, the caloric intake, high-calorie, high-carbohydrate foods, uh, and exercising uh, on a regular basis can do a lot to uh, uh, reduce their blood pressure and may make the medication burden a lot less where you have to take a lot uh, less pills. In some cases, we can actually delay the onset of high blood pressure, and in a few cases, we can even prevent it altogether uh, by these lifestyle changes. So they're very important. After that, drug therapy, which is going to be required in almost everybody who has high blood pressure, not, uh, not everybody, but most people with high blood pressure, once it's really been diagnosed, will require some medication. So then the, the next important thing is sticking to the medication regimen that's required by, uh, that's prescribed by the provider and, and uh, following it through on it. So taking your medicine every day as prescribed, getting your medicine refilled when it's uh, out, and uh, all of these things uh, will help to control blood pressure. Oh, this is, uh, this is really so very informative, and I really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing uh, this information. Is there anything coming up for you, anything new we're working on? Yeah. We are constantly studying drugs that, that might work better in, in minority population because it is, blood pressure is much more of a problem, as you know, in minority populations, especially in the African-American uh, population, the, the problem comes on earlier, tends to be more severe, and associated with a lot more damage to the target organ. So we've been very active and involved, as you know, for many years mm-hmm. in the problems in blacks. So besides the drugs that I told you that may work better or not as good in blacks, we uh, have come across a, f- a few drugs that may uh, work better, for instance, uh, there's a drug out called Nabivolog that seems to be, uh, I did some research with that drug, which I published a few years ago, uh, which has been uh, quite effective in blacks. The first beta blocker that I have studied, uh, and I've studied all of them, that has been as effective in blacks as in, in whites. The most exciting thing that we're doing now, we're, in spite of all that I've said and all that we know about treating blood pressure, there still is that uh, group of people, maybe about 10%, that are truly resistant. You cannot control them. You use all of the drugs in proper doses, proper amounts, according to their tolerability, but you cannot get their blood pressure down to the goals that it should be, especially people that are like diabetics that need to bring it down to a lower goal. So uh, we're looking at some uh, devices that might be effective, and the one that I'm particularly in, am involved in, I mean, I have one of the centers that looking at what we call renal denervation, renal sympathetic nervous system denervation, where we actually are zapping and uh, denervating the sympathetic nerve uh, fibers uh, in the renal arteries 
which have a lot to do with high blood pressure. And uh, we are zapping those by radio frequency waves. Uh, it's been shown through preliminary, preliminary studies in Europe to have been, and, and in Australia, in small number of people so far, to be very effective in bringing down blood pressure in people that are truly resistant. Uh, so we're involved in this. Uh, it's a multi-center study. I'm sure there are several centers in New York. Uh, we have, I said, mine in Baltimore. There's uh, one in Washington and, and all of the country. I'm sure there is a center that's involved. Now, I'm doing the one uh, with the Medtronic uh, catheter, uh, which is uh, uh, have the tip on it to zap these uh, nerves. Uh, but I understand there's about four or five other catheters that are now available, but it's all in research at this time. The FDA has uh, approved the research, these catheters, and that technique has been approved. But it'll be a, a few years before we'll have the results uh, to know, uh, number one, uh, that it does bring down blood pressure. And we know this from other studies, like I said, in Europe and Australia, that it does bring down blood pressure. But uh, does it stay down indefinitely? How, how many drugs can we reduce? Can we get people off drugs altogether? Uh, might people who can't take drugs because they can't tolerate drugs, might this be a technique that could be used instead of drug therapy? So, so we're, this is all research, but it's very, very exciting. And right now, that's the most exciting thing that I'm doing. Wow, this is uh, this is exciting, as you say. I'm definitely looking forward to the results of these. Uh, once again, Dr. Saunders, I really appreciate you coming on the show. I know that my listeners have learned so much from the information you've shared, and I thank you. And even, as I mentioned earlier in the show, I had the opportunity to work with you uh, when I was a medical student at the University of Maryland, and I really did learn so much from you in the management of hypertension. So once again, I thank you so very much. Wonderful, and I'd like to congratulate you on this program. I think so much of this information is needed for the public, so I congratulate you for doing this. Thank you so much. You have okay. a good night. Okay. All right, thank you. Bye. Bye. All right, and, and that was uh, Dr. Elijah Saunders. As I said, you, you Google this physician, and you will see for yourself that uh, he is well-known and well-published and is uh, very well-known in the cardiology and hypertension uh, areas of medicine. So we're very thankful that he was on the show. Uh, on the call tonight, I also have Georgia Peterson. Now, she's been on hold for a while, and I really appreciate her patience. I looked at the time, and I said, I don't want Georgia to hang up because we learned so much from her. I still have people talking about or applesauce for baking. I still have them talking about that even today. So I always love when she's on her show. And Georgia Peterson, I, I always say she is, she's not just a great cook. She's a creator and designer of foods. And you just need to look at her Facebook page at, at Georgia's Shared Delight to see what I'm talking about. So Georgia, what healthy cooking tip do you have for us this week? Hi, Dr. Diane. Well, I was just overwhelmed with all that information you got know, from the doctor. I know, and I couldn't step especially away from it because that, I thought. <laughs> yes, especially seeing that I've been diagnosed with um, hypertension, too. Oh, wow. So, yes. So, so this was um, great. You were on this call. This, this was great. perfect. This was perfect. <laughs> I just, just listened carefully, and I'm absorbing all that information. Um, over 75% of the salt we eat comes from packaged food. Um, what I have for you today is instead of using potato chips, let's try kale chips. 
Yes, kale, the green leafy kale. That's K-A-L-E. Um, wow. Okay, go yeah. ahead. Okay, you're going to get one pound of fresh kale, about two tablespoons olive oil, one teaspoon or half a teaspoon Mrs. Dash. That's the season I use now to eliminate salt. Um, preheat your oven to 400 degrees Fahrenheit. Wash the kales and dry them thoroughly with towels, paper towels or towels or a spinner, salad spinner. Make sure they are completely dry because if you don't do that, when they go into the oven, they are not going to be crispy. Um, remove the vein from the kale and break the kale into bite-sized pieces. Put them on a tray, a baking tray, sprinkle with the Mrs. Dash, some, the olive oil, and toss it. After tossing, you spread them out on the tray again, making sure they are not overlapping. Place in the oven for about 10 minutes. You can check them if they are crispy, or if they are not crispy, you leave it for another two minutes or so. This is a very tasty snack. No more potato chips, no more salt, and you can still have a snack. That is Quite amazing. 10, 20 minutes tops, you have six one-cup servings. Well, I'm, I'm definitely going to try this one. The good thing is I'm not a potato chip lover, but I will definitely give uh, the kale a try. Thank you so much, Georgia. As always, when you come on, you, you bring such interesting information. My listeners usually comment on it for weeks on end. So thank you once again. You're welcome, Dr. Dane. All right. Have a good night. You too. Thanks. So once again, I'd like to uh, thank uh, Dr. Elijah Saunders for coming on the show. That was such great information uh, about managing hypertension. And I also want to thank uh, Georgia Peterson. As always, when she comes on, she has such interesting dishes and and recipes. Uh, Please visit her Facebook page. It is Georgia Shared Delight. You can also come to my page at Facebook dot com forward slash Dr. Diane A. Thompson, and I will have the link to her page available. Uh, once again, I want to thank you guys for listening. Uh, usually I say thank you for spending 30 minutes with me, but tonight you spend a little longer than that, and I appreciate it. I hope you've learned something, something that will take your health to a higher level, and please join me next week. Please remember, as I said, your health is your wealth. And you are the manager of this wealth, so please take good care of yourselves until I see you on the broadcast next week. You've been listening to Health Talk with Dr. Diane MD. Please join us every other Sunday on Blog Talk Radio at blogtalkradio.com slash Dr. Diane Thompson at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If you have missed any part of this broadcast, would like to listen to past shows, or would like our free ebook on stress, please visit www.drdianethompson.com and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Dr. Diane A. Thompson. Remember, your health is your wealth. So do something healthy today.